I know that uh, as you look at Colossians 3, you say he is doing a series. He's going through this dang book. It's like falling off a log. I mean, gravity has taken over. And but you say, Evan, don't you realize you stopped at verse 17 in chapter 3. Verse 18. Wives. And we don't even want to read even further. So you say, is this going to get ugly next week? I don't know. We'll see. Life's an adventure. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all the good you do in our lives. We'd ask that you would bless us this morning in the words of your apostle. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, last, last week, through no fault of my own, St. Paul coming out of his panegyric about the nature of Jesus Christ and how it is about him, um, building a strong, uh, what's the word? For lack of a better word, a strong theology of Jesus Christ. In him, the fullness of deity dwelt and dwells bodily. We're not supposed to be religious. We covered this at the end of uh, the passage last week because religion of that nature, we're to be religious of Christ, but not religious of our religion. And we're told that if you've been raised with Christ, rulemaking and ceremony and strict requirements are of no place in you because you're in Christ. Now that's where we ended it. It dragged us right over into the first four verses of chapter 3, which I do have on the page here at the top of the sermon notes. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. A wonderful, wonderful promise. But it actually has some things that it sets before us as instructions, right? If it's true we've been raised with Christ, we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, if that's true, then you should consider where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and seek those things, because that is the source of your salvation. And then he sums it up into a uh, kind of a, um, an adage, or not an adage, what would it be? Um, a generalization, that your mind should be set on things above, not on things on earth. Now that's, everybody likes to see that on a Facebook post on your refrigerator at home and a nice poster, soft focus. <coughs> Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And nobody pays attention to what does he even mean? What, is, what does this mean to set your things, your mind on things above? <coughs> so the reason is you have died. 
And your life is hid with Christ. So for you to be alive at all, you have to be thinking inside your life, which is inside of Christ. You have died. So since this is the case, this is what you're, you're supposed to be grasping the nature of what has happened to you and start applying your decision. Not, it's not just going to happen magic to you. You have to say, I am a human being, and with that which has happened to me, I either work in agreement with or I work in disagreement with. If it is true, I have died. If that's an indicative statement. When it tells me in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. There's an imperative there. The imperative rests on top of what is indicatively true. You're not deciding to put to death things that you can't put to death. You have died. But you say, well, well, how come if I've died, I have to put to death? Well, there are different things. You're putting to death what is earthly because you have died. That gives you a hint as to what we're talking about this morning. What he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, look at, you don't want to hear this again, but my father always said, when you see a therefore, you look what it's there for. You, you, you look back in the past, it says, therefore, since I died with Christ, my life is hidden with Christ and God, since I'm supposed to set my mind on things above, it is only right that the apostle would say, put to death earthly things in you. Because you know, as much as you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, Let's just suppose that some of you, maybe only two or three, have done something wrong once or twice since you were a Christian. Maybe more than one or two of you, maybe more than once or twice. You know that that when it explains to you in James, once comes wars and fightings among you, is it not your passions that wage war in your members? You, You know that the Christian life is an analysis of mindset that we have in God. And if I don't have the right approach to it as a mindset, when I don't see the category given to me, you are dead, that's just true. You have died. Go back to Paul and Romans. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Therefore, don't sin. You have the choice about sinning because you are dead to it. Now, when I do sin, a lot of Christians then struggle with the problem. A lot of times they change their theology about whether they're dead in Christ. They don't think it's possible since it didn't seem like it was possible for them to resist the sinful temptation. They didn't think it was possible for anyone to resist the sinful temptation. Even though it says of Jesus Christ, he was tempted in every manner like his way, yet without sin. So he could sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But these things are earthly in you, and the reason they are earthly, um, what is the distinction between earth and, uh, well, let's call it heaven or kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, whatever you want to, the earth, the world. Why is it the world? Didn't God make the world? 
Yes. God made everything in it. Matter of fact, he tells you to receive. He made all things richly to be received with thanksgiving. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because then it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. We know that these things that you're sitting in, in a drones club, uh, um, I forget who it was, it came in in shorts. Might have been Frank, might have been Drew, I don't know. And Dan Smith was going on about shorts. And somebody said, oh, I just like to be comfortable. Being comfortable is something that we can be thankful for. I came home late last night from my daughter's gig. We did not stay to the end because I'm a Christian. Came home, it was like almost one, I would say, quarter to one. Crawled into my bed, very thankful. Very, very thankful. I, I, I thought about my bed, very briefly, because I fell asleep. But I thought about my bed and how wonderful it was. Is that not the flesh? Is that not the world? I mean, the mattress was made by some company in Bozeman or something like that. I bought it here with earthly money. And I revel in it, in earthly sensations of tactile benefit. I had to bring up the mattress because I didn't understand the shorts. Because I don't own any. So, there's that. We know these things are earthly, right? What, what's, what's the, is he saying, no, you're supposed to, people of, in that cult, a sect of Roman Catholicism called Opus Dei, they would sometimes wear a little circlet of barbed wire around their ankle, under their pant leg or something like that, so they're always in pain. Eh, be thankful you're in this religion. How do you deal? You don't put to death what is earthly in you. That's what they would do. You've heard of the, the flagellants, uh, the people, the penitentes in the Middle Ages, 1200s or so, going around and by the thousands in groups, and they'd stop at a cathedral city and stand in front of the church and whip themselves till they passed out. And then they'd recover, and they'd get up and crawl or walk to the next city and whip themselves until they passed out. There are other ways of there are other ways of getting at what is earthly that we do not recommend. We're supposed to be thankful for them. So what part of this what put to death therefore what is earthly in you? Then he is actually given a list. That'll want to be handy. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Oh, I see. Well, once you start looking at categories, say, I have to live in the world, I have to go sleep in a bed, should I sleep in an uncomfortable one? Should I not be thankful? Should I not rejoice in the good gifts of God? Good food, etc., etc. What is earthly in you is made earthly it's not just, oh, it's just these things. Well, look at those things and say, what thread holds them together? You say, well, they're kind of all sexy. So let's be against that. No. Because there's covetousness, which is idolatry. 
It seems that all these things are made wrong. Fornication, these are all the first uh, four are sexual. But when the same desire is expressed differently, Paul says you must pursue it. Fornication is when it's not yours. Passion, all these things are you going after what's not yours and not that way. That's what, it's like covetousness, which is often ignored in these lists, because we nobody ever wants to preach a sermon about covetousness, because you've all walked down the, a mall someplace looking in windows and, and thinking, thinking thoughts that could be construed as covetous. I don't think they necessarily are. When you, say, when you see the new riding lawnmower and you say, I want that, is that sin? To want the thing that is, would be a real benefit to your life. You look back at the law and covetousness back in, oh, where is it, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. That is not your neighbor putting a sign saying, I'm selling the ass. 50 bucks. He said, I really like that ass. Here's 50 bucks. Well, did any coveting happen then? They wanted to sell you the thing. They wanted to make it yours. But it, while it's not yours, it's your neighbor's house, wife, ass, what else? Manservant, maidservant, or anything that is your neighbor's. Oddly, the thing is, not wanting, but wanting that which isn't yours. And fornication, and impurity, and passion, and evil desire, all those things drag you across a line that says, before I am willing to pay out to make that woman mine, where I stand in front of, there was a wedding here, what day? Friday? Saturday? Yesterday? Friday. There's going to be another couple standing down front here, uh, Allison and Daniel, and they're going to swear in front of everybody to be each other's with all my worldly goods I be endowed. You are my wife, you are my husband. Everybody says they're Mr. and Mrs. I, I, when I, I'm not doing the wedding, thankfully, this weekend, but, but uh, they introduced them for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Make them each other's so it is not when they go off on their honeymoon fornication. And it's not even passion. I mean, it's passionate, but it's not passion. It's not me saying the thing desired becomes my decision generator. We gotta realize that the things that these earthly desires violate, your ownership of things, honor about other people and what they possess, violates reason when you make your decisions according to passion. 
violates God. I mean, it says, when it says covetousness, which is idolatry, and I've said this to you before, I don't think it's because really wanting, really, really, really wanting that TV really, really badly is not you worshiping that TV like it were an idol. I think people go to the other gods to get what they want. I think a lot of people go to Jesus to get what they want. Name it, claim it, health and wealth, whatever it is, even if they're regular evangelicals, they think if they check off a few of the boxes correctly, God's going to kind of be on their side in situations. Covetousness, you wanting that which is not yours. Your desires so loud in your ear, what is earthly in you, you have to put to death. Which is you saying, oh, when I have a desire that, 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 that is that big, ownership, honor, reason, God himself, those things are all to set me back and say, no, it is not mine to take. I'm a young unmarried guy or something like that. I might desire women, but I can't have them because of honor and possession and my God. I'm supposed to put to death what is earthly in me, which is not just, oh, I've got urges. I want that baseball mitt. I want that neighbor's possession. It's the fact that you haven't said your wants are so loud in your ear that you've stopped listening to anyone else's, God's wants, and the other person's wants. Because that's the basic problem. And God says, account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We don't, we've got euphemisms. We've got euphemisms. We call it other things. We can't imagine. I don't know if, I think it's Gay Pride Month or LGBTQ Month or something. I'm not sure what it is. So I figured I better work it into the sermon. We, we, we make something a month. Hey, pedophile month. You got a month for this, that, and the other thing. Other people, oh, we call it hookup culture. Oh, yeah, people just hook up. Account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, well, maybe I'm not picturing it correctly. I figure that, you know, two consenting adults, you know, drinking too much and, and, and chasing each other around. It's just kind of funny. Not worthy of the wrath of God. Well, um, the wrath of God thinks differently. Now, because the wrath of God knows what you're doing. The wrath of God says, here's a bunch of selfish people just going after other people's things, things that are not theirs to take, and taking it, even by consent. Even if a woman is giving herself away as a professional, she ought not, it is not hers to sell that way. And so when I step into it, because we both consented, We don't realize how bad this is because we don't realize that it is what is earthly in you and you have been called the things above, not the things of earth. I mean, that's what it says in John, 1 John, when it says of uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In these you once walked, verse 7, when you lived in them. 
Break that sentence apart for yourself. Because we're, you've been given instructions, you've been given indicatives, and you've been given imperatives. You're supposed to recognize that you have died, and your life is hid with Christ. So you have to now function with that truth, operative, and you need to obey when he says to put to death earthly things. So it would help if you understood what the earthly thing is, what you're looking for, how, what part of you is the temptation in. You walked in these things when you lived in them. That means you have to think and live in a different way. That means your home life of all places is to be centered on things above. When we've taught uh, child rearing courses or marriage courses over the years, one of the basic things we stress is that your default mentality is holiness, had it better be holiness. That you are going to be holy or you're going to be get holy, getting holy. You either are confessing your sins or you're not sinning. Those are your two options. That should be your home presumption. Your kids should come through the door and, and, and realize I'm in a Christian household. Not because mother has a string of pearls laid over an open Bible on the coffee table, but because everything is measured by what Jesus Christ wants. Because they have thought, sought the things that are above, not the things on earth. If you get home and you find that all the conversation, everything is about things of earth, even things you could have, but it is almost training you to live and walk in those things as if they were the most important. Things that please you. Because if you think about your life pleasing you, that means every one of those areas of pleasure, even though you only thought about it legitimately and morally, you've got to watch to make sure that you don't get leveraged. That's true even for the most obedient Christian out there, that when uh, you have temptations, you're told to not be too pious about things because you could be tempted by things. We're always tempted. Jesus was tempted. We're not talking about getting tempted. We're talking about what do I do with it? How do I think about it? How do I design the Christian life? So that I know that I should not live in these things and walk in these things that are not mine to have. And how do I get to where they are mine to have? So how do I get, you say, well, it would be nice to have a bit of money. Well, how do you get a bit of money? You work hard, you invest it. You work hard, you build it, you, it becomes the right reward for that behavior. How do I get a woman? Well, you show yourself approved and, and positively talked about by every older woman in the church. And pretty soon the young ladies are asking about you. And you get to marry that woman and you get to have what's called connubial bliss. Good times. But isn't that bad? No. Taking what isn't yours the way you should not have it. You're just trying to design getting it so it's right for you to have and you can thank God for it. You're supposed to put them all away. Now look at what happens here. Now put, now put them all away. And then he lists a different list. It's not the fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. It's a bunch of attitudes and communications. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are being renewed in the image of the creator because the creator of your new nature is not you. You're not writing yourself a new resolution narrative where you're going to be a better Christian now from now on. God designs your new nature. It's being renewed in his image. And that's probably the problem with the old image. It was serving you. Those are your choices. (coughs) Your old nature was your image, your story. The new nature is his image, his story. But it's supposed to keep me, because what are these things, these attitudes and actions and words? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul talk. Those are ways that you, you might say, rivet, leverage, express, direct. That's why we talk, right? That's why we even deal with each other. That's why you let a facial expression cross your your, uh, face so that people would know how, how upset you are. Are you, a, are you the kind of person that gets, what's the first one? Angry. And in case, oh, I don't get angry, I lose it. Oh, then wrath. I think King James has fits of rage. Ah, yeah. Now, I know, I, I'm a pastor, I'm at church. Nobody shows up and decides, I'm going to throw a fit. Maybe your second grader, not, maybe not your second grader, your two-year-old might do it. But some of you who have that, that issue... Malice, slander, these are all expressions of you not being pleased that that which you don't have hasn't come to you. That which is not yours has not been granted you. You start to lower the bar. Now, I'm, I'm not a believer that the sinfulness of man is any greater today than it was in the 1800s. I just think we talk about it, talk about it a lot more. It becomes a lot more mainstream. Because foul talk from our mouths Why would we lie to one another in the first place? Well, so I I could have a viewpoint so you would believe something that would benefit me that is not really mine to be benefited by. You need to believe that I'm a retired Navy SEAL. You really need to believe that. I'm not. I'm a retired Navy photo mate really wasn't desperately heroic. It was Southern California. The desert. Met my wife there, but I didn't do anything heroic. But for me to lie to you is because I want you to give me things, money, recognition, have you ever told a lie about your own reputation? What are you up to? This idea of being up to that which is not yours. And because you're serving self, that which is not yours bothers you. It's not mine. I'm coveting it. It's not mine. I am angry. It's not mine. I am sleeping around with it. Whatever it is, 
I'm going after it and I have to violate the law of God. And why is God bothered? God is bothered because this is the very basic insult to the maker of heaven and earth that you, the thing made, has decided that it's going to worship and serve the creator, the creature and not the creator. Now I want you to know that because the next verse, and I don't think this is necessarily there for this reason. Verse 11. Here there cannot be Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. He's basically telling you that your basic categories of how you divided up humanity before don't matter. Because the basic division is in Christ, not in Christ. Christ is all and in all. All the believers are in Christ. You have died with him. Now live like it. And everybody else. My father says, I, I, I don't talk to Mormons. I talk to non-Christians. They happen to be, you know, practice Mormonism, but they're just non-Christians. Just like any non-Christian. I don't have to label them a Baal worshiper or a Scythian or a Greek or a Jew. All of them are doing the same thing sinners do, which is live for themselves and trying to take that which is not theirs to have. I, I need to answer God's expectation that I not be so self-dwelling. Because look what it says then. It's, it's going to be Christ herself. Verse 12. Put on then, put to death, verse 5, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Look at this list. Compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This little section, Colossians 3, verse 5 through... Well, the end of this passage, you can live the Christian, this is the Christian life. Put, put to death these things, put on these things. But look at what happens in the things you're supposed to put to death. Because you're serving you, you cross lines that are not yours. You are a basic coveter. Your neighbor's stuff. Things that God says, no, that's not yours, but I want it anyway. But I want it anyway. You ever hear a kid in the Walmart toy aisle, but I want it anyway. You told me I can't have it. You don't seem to understand, Mom. I want, you don't seem, I want it. It's like this is a feast of reason for a, a four-year-old. They just need to express how much, because it obviously moved them. They're willing to steal it to have it. They don't realize at age four that that's not right, but they... But I, I could just take it off. The, I'll just go steal it. I remember being in the bookstore many, many years ago, decades ago. And a girl, Christian girl I knew, very young, maybe not even in grade school yet, walks in. Might have been in grade school. Shortly, 
thereafter, her father came in the bookstore, and shortly after, a clerk from another store saying, excuse me, but your daughter stole something from, just decided to take it. Maybe he was tired explaining to the parent how much they wanted it. They needed it badly. I'm sure it's not mine, but I can make it mine. People will lie, people will steal, people will violate anything because they serve themselves. Now look at the list of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. And in case you weren't recognizing the direction of all those things, forbearing one another. Suddenly in the Christian mind, the heart turns to others. Because in the Christian mind, it's about love, right? The, 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 the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul says, this is all the commandments, the laws of the commandments are fulfilled in this one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know that this, verse 14, and above these all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what I'm supposed to put on. I, can't, I, I take away my tendency to serve me and think of the service I am to others. Compassion is to feel, I, I, I don't think this is any sort of word commonality to, to passion and the compassion, that means feeling with. Uh, pathos is the word passion, uh, pathetic, and your empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate means to be with passion, with, with their feelings. But their feelings matter to you. Kindness, their relationship to you is meaningful to you. Loneliness, that you don't always lift yourselves up. Love not insisting on its own way, it's not proud. Meek, same thing. Patient, boy. Others can really do this to us in business and in home. And but that's what I'm supposed to be putting on. That's what I'm, I remember. I'm walking in Christ. The whole book up to this point has been talking about how we stand in our God in Christ. That this is the image, verse 10, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I've got something being made by my God called Christianity. And my task is to every day I go through should be trying to live that more acutely and correctly. I'm supposed to be putting these things on so that I shine this way. Put on love, because that produces this harmony. And let the peace, verse 15, of Christ rule in your hearts. Basically, if you want to take the path that the Lord wants to say, do not have yourself, you died to yourself. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I must say, I must put on the presence of others. That's just general, just keep it general. Not myself, but others. Now I have that quote from C.S. Lewis, because so many times Christians in their desire to be for others become the worst busybodies on the planet. 
which ever since I, I want to read that to you because Kenny read it in scripture reading one time and I still remember going, huh, where is it? Someplace we're told to uh, not rob or murder. Hmm. Ah, uh, but none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a wrongdoer or a mischief maker. Her translation said busybody. Look at murderers, robbers, wrongdoers, and busybodies. That line from Lewis was, you, she was the kind of woman who would live for others. You could tell the others by their hunted expression. You don't want to be that kind of other, where people go, you know, flinch when you walk in the room because, oh my gosh, you're going to do something for them. That's the most, Reagan's line, uh, the most feared words in history was, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. The, the, you don't want to be that sort of person. You say, I need to not just understand that I'm supposed to be for others, but I'm for others in the way others feel loved, feel the patience, feel the compassion feel the kindness and are grateful to you, not ungrateful. Because so many times busybodies are really serving their own wills. They really have a kind of a world they're trying to create by looking like they're helping everybody out. But they're really creating, you know, that personal, I'm, I'm shaping this the way I want it. Not, I'm shaping it the way this other person would want it or benefit from it. We're looking to have this describe us. And the, ba the benefit is if I say, well, others really don't impress me that much. Now, I've, I've told people sometimes I suspect I'm a sociopath, but it's not really important whether or not I think you are others good enough for me to be of service to, because I might never be able to drag myself to that position. But Christ is, no matter who you are, no matter how sociopathic you are, Jesus Christ is so far above. I just go back in Colossians and, and keep myself reminded who, though he was in the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Read that passage again of who Jesus Christ is. It's not about you. Yeah, this is the basic tussle. We're not making distinctions between Jew and Greek slave and free. We're not having those simple categories. We're going down to ultimate things called, where do I stand? Do I stand as a worshiper of God and Christ? Not about a worshiper of heaven himself. So it's about Christ. And after you are about Christ, and put that first so that you don't become that busybody. So you say, it's about Christ first. I need to become like my Lord so that I can serve others without it being a surreptitious way of me serving me. And when God's judgment is lifted from you, remember on the count of those things, the wrath of God was coming? You know my position about all peace. You put things in order, you have peace. Anybody knows that, getting ready for a party, get the table set just right, it's peaceful. Military comes in, shoots all the bad guys, makes the trains run on time. It's peaceful. 
We have order, we have peace. We have government, we have peace. Let the peace of Christ, verse 15, rule in your hearts. It says, put on love. First off, face other people. Have that be your guide in life. Bind it together with your love, not just, you don't just have a list of checkoff boxes that says compassion, kindness. Oh, I didn't do enough lowliness today. I better go out and complain about how miserable I am about stuff and, and not good at things. We, don't, we, we want it bound together harmoniously in love so that you're actually there being patient and kind because you're a patient and kind person. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which, indeed, you were called in the one body. And be thankful. What a wonderful, what a wonderful lesson. Why, do we not, why, why don't we do it? Because I want that. Mom, I want that. I mean, I really want that. You know, there are other religions you could join. Free country. Luckily, there's no membership here. We won't chase you down the street. You say, God, I really haven't, you convinced me? Baal worship is for me? I'm going down finding, I'm going to open a temple to Baal. You know, I bet you, if you created a priesthood of Baal, Moscow, Idaho, and built a little column structure somewhere on the fringe of town, every college student every Sunday would be there bowing and scraping and lighting incense or whatever, because they serve Baal. And if you decided Baal is really the selfishness that you want, because the other religions are going to be operating on covetousness, which is idolatry, the promise that it is to you, go join another religion. This Christianity is way too tough. It's just not, it's not for people with your problems. Because we just get a wonderful bearing towards others, bound together in love, enjoying the peace, the ease that God brings you to. And you can say, and at the end, thank him. Be thankful. Who wouldn't be thankful? Who wouldn't be thankful? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. You hear this all the time. Now, on the internet lately, there is a challenge about reading the New Testament over a course of time with everybody else and getting on board and signing up for it. Oh, I don't mind if you do it for heaven's sake. But ask yourself, why wouldn't you read it anyway? You bastard. Because I think you wouldn't. And when you wouldn't, and you did because it was a challenge, I despise you. But you got the points. I read my Bible. I love it when people read their Bible because they want to know what's in it. Simple. You don't want to know what's in it. That little bit of honesty, you have to admit, you're sitting there with your coffee in the morning, get a cigarette, because that's the best. 
summer morning, cool in the air, back porch. Your Bible sitting there. Evan said I didn't have to have a quiet time. I have to have this coffee. But I don't have to have a quiet time. Thank God I go to that church. Where I don't have to read my Bible. But at this church you will be asked, why don't you read your Bible though? Because if you have to fall back on a rule to get you to read the Bible, you're just an awful human being. You're an inadequate person as a Christian. You're supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. I mean, not because you memorized everything and not because you became a student of theology. It's the word of Christ. It's not Bible memory. Teach one another, admonish one another. The wisdom that's coming from this, you've got all this wisdom to hand out. I love to see it as Christians grow older in the faith and become teachers of those who are coming after them. And sing. Oh, I want to sing. Somebody asked me the other night, actually asked me on the porch, why don't men sing anymore? And I say all sorts of reasons. One, the music's lousy. There really isn't any form of music that you could just sing. And they're bashful. They go through puberty and bad things happen. And they stop singing because they sound awful. And the only thing that will get them to stop is, of course, obviously if they're good at it. And they, well, people really like me doing it. The girls really like me doing it. I'm singing all the time. Or they really care about something. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart towards God. I guess you're just not thankful enough to sing. Well, I know that if you're not thankful enough to sing because you just respect other people's ears too much, and even though you've got, you know, a dump truck load of thankfulness in your heart, you just are not going to abuse the Christian church that way. Fine. But tell me about how thankful you are, because I'm sure it's going to come out somehow. Does not sing it. You might want to consider singing. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Be thankful. Be taught. Be students. Sing about things. You know that scene in Monty Python? I just want to sing, Father. That's the person you're supposed to be. That's Christianity right there. Somehow I may remind people of the Father at that point. Trying to keep the kid from singing. But this is all about dedicating your life to the basic question that you are not it, Jesus Christ is it. And let's live where Jesus Christ's heart leads us, which is toward others in compassion, kindness, Lowliness, meekness, patience, love, peace, thanksgiving. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. For your son and for the life we have, we'd ask that we learn these things more and more. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.